0: Are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Colorful, obsessive, dark yet hopeful. Natalie Draper explores character and evocative sound worlds in her music. Her works have been performed by a variety of ensembles and soloists, including Acropolis Reed Quintet, Symphony No. 1, Soprano Danielle Buonaiuto, and Grammy-nominated pianist Cara Huber. This past year, she remixed a version of her 2016 piece Time Lapse Variations to use as background music in a research film by NASA. She has held residencies and fellowships at the UCross Foundation, Tanglewood Music Center, the IPark Park Foundation, and Yaddo. She is an assistant professor at Syracuse University's Settner School of Music, where she teaches both theory and composition. I want to start with uh, your piece, Strains in the Signal. And mm-hmm. this is for clarinet, violin, cello, and piano. And just kind of tell us about the the driving force behind this piece. Like where did it come from and what's propelling the music forward in this?
1: Sure. So um, I wrote this piece about five years ago and it was at a time when I was sort of in the early stages of doing something that I actually now do a lot of, which is to try to um, combine sort of fragments of processes of melodies Mm -hmm. with pulse. And so the the title itself, strains are the melodies and the signal is the pulse. Um, And I was just playing with this idea of of juxtaposing those two things while also playing with timbre too. Um, So I think three things that I do a lot of in my music are melody, pulse, and timbre. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, yeah, that was sort of like one of the earlier pieces where that really gelled as a concept for me. Um, In terms of what's propelling it forward, um, I tend, in that one, a lot of it is based on these sort of Chromatic harmonic structures that are like expanding and contracting in wedges as just um, so sort of like visually on the keyboard. And so that's you're hearing parts of them while things float around and you'll hear a little bit more. And then at some point I invert them. So there are a lot of just sort of um, playful processes that I'm going through mm-hmm. with these different things um, and trying to show them in different registers and different lights
0: yeah. So these uh, these fragments that you're dealing with, uh, I'm, and I'm speaking particularly about those wedge figures that mm-hmm. we'll hear kind of return in different guises. Are those figures? Are they literally just fragments, or is there some kind of through line between them? Are you you say you're you're kind of expanding and contracting them? Does that mean over time they get? Expanded as well?
1: Oh, from chord to chord. Okay. So, on a very micro level, in terms of the long range planning, um, it's very typical that I will come up with some sort of chord progression that I find appealing and have like a very long strand of it Mm -hmm. and then slowly be working my way through it, or else like present some of it and then do a transposition of it or do an inversion of it or something like that. And usually, I can't remember if I did this in strains in this signal or not, but in more recent times, um, I'll also sometimes superimpose sort of larger tone center areas on it to give it kind of like a maybe like a one, four, five feel, even though it's not operating in functional tonality, but that might be like the the sort of feel of the centers as you go through the piece, something like that. So there are sort of I'll be thinking long range with it, but I always start with these really small building blocks mm-hmm. and then kind of play with them that way.
0: So those building blo- building blocks um, kind of express a, well, they express structural kind of hit points or pillars along along the piece and, okay, cool. Yeah. Um,
1: it's been a while though since I've thought about that one. So I'm not <laughs> sure I was like I was definitely doing some of those things, but um, this has definitely been a process that's been evolving in the way I construct pieces so, Yeah what
0: what were you doing right before this piece that kind of led you into <laughs> this or or a different question what were you what did you do right after this? like what's a piece yeah. they could, the listener could go to and say, okay, this came before strains in the signal and this came before uh, this came after strains in the signal.
1: Um, so two pieces that were right before strains in the signal that I still am very fond of are um, decadent music box and deflected harmlessly into the ceiling and deflected harmlessly into the ceiling was just a solo flute piece that was very limited in pitch. I just chose, I think like 20 pitches that I was forcing myself to work with across the range of the flute and it was more just playing with rhythm. So I wasn't really exploring the same kind of things. It was a very different piece for me. It was very process-based. Mm-hmm. I was still kind of taking small building blocks of rhythm and motive um, and letting them spin out. But I wasn't doing the same kind of like chord progression spinning out, I guess. Um, Decadent Music Box has a little bit more of like the stuff that you see in strings. Right. the Signal. Um, but that one the process for that was there were a lot of different things going on with like a rising fifth pulse that was in the vibraphone and things like that. So yeah, I don't know with all of my music. I, I try to give myself a sort of musical puzzle to solve almost. Mm -hmm. And they're usually pretty different, but then they're the things that you start just gravitating toward because you liked them or they worked in a different piece and you want to try them in a slightly different way in the next one. And so I think I'm starting to see with myself that there are things I keep coming back to. But when I was in an earlier stage of composition, I was kind of trying lots and lots of different things um, and just being like, well, what if I played with this puzzle this time? And so the flute piece was totally different.
0: So you you haven't come, I mean, it sounds like you kind of created a pitch field, you know, across the, across the range of the flute and say, I can, these are my pitches. Like I have a B in this octave, but I only have a B flat in this octave type of thing. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you've never come back
1: to that. I haven't not since that piece. Uh-uh. I think I will. Cause I feel I, that was very fruitful and it was, it was good in getting me to enforcing me to think more rhythmically than I usually sure. do. Um, yeah. So I could see that actually coming back in the near future, but I wouldn't be surprised if it comes back in like a way that's also informed by all the other stuff I've been doing. Sure. Recently.
0: That's yeah. that, that, kind of pitch field idea i've been i've been doing stuff with that for for the last i don't know four or five years or something like that um but for for me it's interesting that you say that you really focused on rhythm in that piece like the that pitch was just kind of taken care of so you could so you could really like hone in on your rhythmic sense but i actually approached the the pitch field thing from a totally different um, oh, cool! From a d- totally different idea. In that, like my harmonic and melodic ideas, I felt like, like you said, you know, you tend to gravitate towards certain things because, like, oh, they worked in this piece, and I, and I, you know, I like this sound. But I just like after a while, uh, after my doctorate, I was like, I do this these things way too much, and I have, I have to like use like use the field as something like oh i need to start exploring other harmonic or melodic ideas so that's how i sure. was i was using the field in that like now of course like it's still built around the things i like but anyway
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i it's that sounds yeah i totally understand yeah that. <laughs> yeah i
0: mean in this in this piece this uh this quartet uh you i i feel like you have a really colorful harmonic sense I mean, cool. in Thanks. those in those wedge structures. And mm-hmm. were, you said that you're... It, I, I actually thought it was kind of interesting that you said that you were working uh, with melodic fragments because the first thing that hit me with this piece is like, wow, her harmony is great.
1: Oh, good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so... Yeah. Well, I think the melody tends to be very closely linked to the harmony. Right. Like, I think, I guess, in some ways I should probably talk more about pitch than separating them because... So much of the fragment usually comes from the top of a chorale structure that I'm working on. And that's a very common thing to happen in my music too, to like um, have a melody that then I'll harmonize or to vice versa, like have mm-hmm. a chord progression, but then like, I'm like, ooh, I like that top line and now how can I expand it? Um,
0: and do, do those harmonies come from some kind of system or are those just kind of, are you, are you just working kind of organically with those?
1: Um, I always start at the piano, so a lot of it comes from just finding either, um, like, chord or interval relationships at the piano that I find interesting, and then sort of seeing how they can, you know, expand in or expand out and sort of grow, um, or how they can be flipped and put in different places. Um, But usually... I mean I'm really I'm also a big theory nerd at heart so I can spend a long time just like collecting <laughs> yeah. chords and then just being and then just sort of going through and saying well what would happen if you know this top part of this chord was put on the bottom and then or maybe like now it's trans this part of it's transposed but the other part isn't or something right. so like I'll just I uh, I think like for a lot of pieces from especially that time I would find these wedge structures, and I would spend a lot of time... I would just have, like, charts of chords Mm -hmm. that I wanted to use. And maybe I wouldn't use all of them. Often, I wouldn't. I would find a lot of transpositions or inversions that were just sort of useless. But I would sort of generate these, like, maps, and then think about how I could travel through them, and and then the... um, I guess part of why I say melody is that's often how I feel like it becomes music rather than just like, here's a chord. Right. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. You kind of, by, by kind of laying out here are my materials and your, you can like visually see on, on the page. Oh, well, if, if I did this chord to this chord to this chord, I could get that melody coming out of this voice, then this voice, then that voice. Yeah. 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 That's, that, that's a really interesting process. I've, I've done kind of stuff like that too, and I I find it is really helpful because one of I feel like yeah. one of my problems when I sit at the piano it's just like well my hand likes to like yeah. naturally go <laughs> to this position so right. I end up writing a lot of zero one three you know yeah tri chords because because it just fits really nicely in, yep. into that and uh, and it, uh, again it was it was getting kind of like forcing. Forcing yourself outside of like, oh, what is my hand like to do? And, and just working in a different way to where you like put it on the page and have this like library of material. So that's really interesting. Right. Your your music in this, I mean in both pieces, but uh, in, in this piece, well, not in particular, but just mm-hmm. this piece does it yeah. as well. Um, I think it really toes the line between... Kind of moments of having harmonic progression and moments of tonal ambiguity, Mm -hmm. and you kind of live in that middle ground, you know, where it's not, you know, it's not completely atonal, it's not, you know, close to being functional harmony, but that gives it a lot of color, and it also gives it the ability to surprise the listener. I think.
1: Oh, good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I really, I'm, I'm really appreciating that more and more. Um, mm-hmm. with yeah. uh, w- you know, with the music, I'm kind of drawn to is that kind of ambiguity. And I remember when I was younger, I was like so hardlined that I <laughs> kind of wasn't able to let that stuff in. But
1: were you hardlined in an in which sense, in a tonal sense or an atonal? In sense? an atonal sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's funny because I think like you know I have people say to me sometimes that they're like, "Oh, your music's so tonal," which I find funny because in a way i feel that it's that's not how i'm thinking about it right. um at all actually um i mean there's certain ways in which i can do that in a very large formal way like i was talking about creating these sort of like tone center mm-hmm. things that will give it a sense of closure at the end but um yeah i don't really think about it that way and um i also really like a lot of atonal music yeah which always seems to surprise people but i yeah i think it's really cool i i guess I like stuff that's ambiguous in general, Mm -hmm. but I also think that um, one thing that at least I have not found a solution for how to effectively create harmonic motion uh, without some sense of tone centeredness. Like for just for me personally, I just I I tried in a variety of ways, and I always feel like I need just a little bit of that. Yeah, absolutely. So that I can make something have some forward motion and. If I can somehow steal that bit, but also have a little bit of ambiguity <laughs> yeah. that I like about atonality, like that cool. would be that would be cool. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, I yeah. love I love the coda of this piece. No one writes a coda anymore. You Coda's know, are great. They are great. It, it's <laughs> yeah. just kind of the last breaths of the breaths of this material, and I I I thought, I thought it was a really nice touch. So, uh, who are we going to hear on this recording?
1: Sure. Uh, so you'll hear Sam Rothstein on clarinets, Samantha Bennett on violin, Jesse Christensen on cello, and Andrew Shue on piano.
0: Cool. I, I went to school with Jesse.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, okay. yeah, I yeah. Just, and I
0: just saw him recently. Um, he was at uh, the Bowling Green New Music Festival. He's, oh, cool. he's a great guy. Yeah. Cool. Really so let's balance. listen to it now. This is Strains in the Signal. Let's talk about your other piece that we're going to listen to. And this, uh, this one is called time-lapse variations Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's about 20 minutes long and it's for chamber orchestra. What inspired this piece? Was it the specific, uh, you know, was it just like the, the visual technique of time-lapse or, or was, uh, was there a specific source that you, you know, you saw like time-lapse photography and it, and it inspired this?
1: Um, there wasn't a specific source. Um, it was there were a couple different things going on with this. So it was a commission from Symphony Number no. One, which is a group in Baltimore, um, run by conductor Jordan Randall Smith, and uh, they, their mission is to sort of offer emerging composers opportunities to do large scale works, mm-hmm. and they. Um, at least for this, I don't know if they still do this, but during the season where I was commissioned, they were pairing, you know, substantial long work by a composer, um, with like, a older composers work. So I was paired with Mahler and that was very stressful to me. Yeah, um, I bet. <laughs> so I just decided that, um... You know, I would I would sort of go for something epic, and so it was with, with this idea of of something epic in mind, and then also um, then thinking about time lapse variation and wanting to do something that would be a different approach to the epic, you know, and sort of the epic musical sound, um, and uh, I I guess I was mostly just thinking about it in terms of. Um, this sort of I always feel like with time-lapse film that you get this sort of weird effect where on the one hand things are moving very fast and so you're having this sped up um, image but on the other because of that psychologically you're taken out of the action because you're not you're not in the action in real time so you're observing it almost in this like Kind of godlike way, which is mm-hmm. very weird. So you're you're seeing time pass very fast at the same time that you're also sort of slowed down yourself and like almost above time, like in this very bizarre way that I find fascinating. And so I wanted to figure out a way to kind of imitate that with music, and it's not like there's a direct analog. I couldn't point you to something specific necessarily in the piece it was more just this idea of I'm going to play with pulse for a very 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 long time because I think there's some analog to that in minimalism you know there's this sort of you have these tiny processes and they're and they're sped up Um, they're repeated over and over again with slight changes just like you would have slight changes in the moments in a day or something with the light maybe Um, but then it would be happening over a long passage of time, so time lapse variations. Um, I think there are a lot of different things going into it. There's that all those ideas, and then also um, thinking about light and color too. And I played a lot with timbre and it. I got really into um, thinking about just interesting timbral combinations. Like I was really excited to do. Uh, you'll hear a bass drum. Uh, paired with a flute that's doing a pitch bend. And I was mm. like, I was very excited about that, just this idea of this very sort of low, epic, earthy boom with this like <laughs> sound <laughs> happening over it. Um, so yeah, I, I there are things like that that I just sort of used, again, used pulse, use a long process. I did a lot of wedge stuff in this one, too. Um, and there are sections, the different sections of it often have, something different going on with the wedges like maybe they've been inverted or mm-hmm. whatever um, and then and then it the variations part you know each the sections come back um, I think each one comes back at least once and then a couple of them come back twice and so so um, it, so it
0: is an actual set of variations. Yeah, because
1: okay. the every time something comes back that you've heard before, it's slightly different, and um, sometimes that's more subtle than others. But uh, it's usually some sort of different thing in the orchestration, or um, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think what other things I changed. But yeah, it was so it was. Um, there's a lot of different things mm-hmm. going into it. Yeah,
0: it seems like there's a kind of striation in this piece where you have mm-hmm. several different simultaneous strains that are overlapping continuously. Is thats is that true? Or is that something I made up through listening to it?
1: I don't think that's something you made up. Because um, I think something that often happens... Well, uh, there was one point in the drafting process when I had basically done the whole plan of it in terms of the like harmonic processes. But it just felt like a giant accompaniment like that's sort of what I felt like I'd written and and I was talking to my composition teacher at the time and he was like I think you you need a melody like you need something in there that's gonna sort of link these things so um that was something that came in and they're often you know there are different layers of it like the melody itself became a process mm-hmm. that then spins out in different ways and then in the this, the middle of the piece you get actually this big sort of apotheosis moment with the melody where it actually seems almost like neo-romantic or something and Mm then goes back to being pulsed again um and uh so that's its own thing going through its own story i guess um in the piece and then there are all these sort of orchestrational stories that are happening and orchestrational layers and then there are harmonic layers. So I think that is a, a okay. fair way to think about it. Yeah. yeah.
0: It, it kind of reminded me of the, uh, the first tableau in Petrushka.
1: Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that makes me so happy. Just, uh, yeah. I mean,
0: you know, not like musically, it reminded me yeah. of that, but in, in how you were treating your materials, it reminded me of that because there's like, you know, that, that movement is supposed to like kind of, take you around the crowd scene and right. your and the music gives you where your attention should be, but then it can like your attention shifts and it says the music has been, has kept going, even though you haven't heard it, it's kept going. Yeah. So you pick it up and that's kind of how I felt like I could pick up different strains in your piece. Like m- when you had moments where the, where the texture kind of cleared, like all of a sudden the, the underlying, I think it's viola, um, kind yeah. of kind of repetitive stuff. Like comes comes to the fore again, and then you hear it. It's like, oh well, wait, those weren't the pitches that it was doing before. It has like right. transformed. So yeah. so that yeah, that was that was a really interesting thing. Natalie, this is this piece is really beautiful. Oh, thank <laughs> like, you. When I was listening yeah. to it earlier today, I actually said that out loud. Like like, damn, this is good. And I was like, oh, I was with no one you know, and I, <laughs> yeah. again, I go, I really go back to harmonic color, you know, it's shifting mm-hmm. and morphing, but it isn't so saturated that like, you know, the colors turn just brown, you know, it's, yeah. you, it's always kind of, you, you're you in control. I mean, can you, mm-hmm. it, it seems like maybe you've followed a, a, a similar kind of process to harmony as you did with the last one. Is that true?
1: Yeah, that was part of why I sent you those too, because I think like they're they're linked in an interesting way in that sense, but they're also they're also quite different. Yeah. So it's sort of like a they're similar processes for me that um, where the end result was was something sort of in a different world, but um, I I mean this time lapse variations took a lot of drafting like it was a long process of and there are many times when I was sort of bashing my head against the wall and thinking like is and I also have a lot of I'm still sort of trying to think about duration with that piece and then also with future pieces I'm working on because it's um, uh, I think once you hit a certain level of uh, length with any kind of minimalist structure you can start to really balloon, and it's harder to find like the ideal length. I think so. um So I'm glad you liked it, because I, I, still, I still wonder about. Length. <laughs> I mean, that that's um,
0: actually something I was going to ask you about. Are you? Yeah. Are you a writer of long pieces, or is this no, like what this usually. is?
1: This was this was a big step. Yeah, and okay. I actually I want to do more like this because it felt like it really opened up a lot of interesting doors um, but we don't have that many opportunities you know to write long pieces and it's very frustrating because that's a different muscle you know like it it's really like is. any kind of workout and the amount of I think part of what was hard about the drafting for this piece was figuring out the large scale um, proportions and figuring out uh, how to make things also work harmonically mm-hmm. um, I mean there were big sections of that piece that I ended up, um, completely transposing to be in a different thing to in order to make like the whole thing go. There was a lot of sort of tinkering, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, if you're writing a five minute piece, which is what so many of the commissions seem to be these days, like five minutes or seven to ten minutes, right? Um, you don't actually have to worry too much. I mean, you can get away with not like get away with, but you can, you can do a five minute piece that has basically zero harmonic progression at all and it's just sort of a soundscape and that will be quite lovely but like if you want to do a soundscape which kind of is what time-lapse variations is in its own way for 20 minutes you have to think a lot more about sort of how you're playing with people's expectations of time and and all these things so yeah I found it I found it very challenging and I would love to do more of that kind of length um, in the future.
0: You're right. I mean, there, there just aren't those, uh, opportunities to write that. Well, I guess if you are of a certain age or of a certain, you know, stature in the, in the new music community, those opportunities might sh- you yeah. know pop up, but it seems like for younger composers, you know, the, the, the two things that younger composers don't get to do, uh, write for orchestra and write long pieces because right. there's such this like hustle like oh you've got to be in x number of festivals and you have to get x number of commissions and well it's yeah. like if you do that everyone's looking for the eight minute piece because then they can right. jam 10 pieces on a concert and get uh 10 registration fees instead of only jamming five pieces on a concert and get you know yeah there's (laughs) yeah
1: yeah it's very frustrating I was actually talking to um another composer at a residency recently and we were both just commiserating about how like um uh you know we I was saying that I I write so much chamber music and because I've written so much chamber music that's what people ask me to write sure and then you know I really really want to write orchestra music and it's just it it feels sort of like you see these things and they're like well you can send us your orchestra score and then we will commission you to write an orchestra piece and it's right. like, well help me <laughs> i'm not i'm think, not gonna yeah. write
0: something unless you're gonna play it <laughs>
1: <laughs> right and i also think that you know there's this sort of assumption that you know you 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 need to have almost like you need to have written that in order to be able to write for that. And I think there are a lot of people out there who have really interesting voices who do mostly chamber. And I would love to hear what they would do with an orchestra. I think that could be really cool. So
0: I mean, getting getting back to how you were thinking about this piece over time. I mean, obviously, you know, what you would do in a five minute piece or what you would do in an eight minute piece, you can't, just explode that you know you can't just like stretch it out and say oh okay well these are the proportions in this piece I can just like double those and then I've got my piece that doesn't that doesn't work so what I thought you did in this I think you you did it beautifully I mean you created you mentioned this before uh, you you kind of created a world in which we could live and explore but but it was it was just that it was a world like it had kind Mm. of expectations and it had rules that you could kind of count on like there you know we were going to hear a certain type of sound or a certain a certain chord progression but you didn't stray too far from it so it like it simultaneously was never boring but it was also very consistent
1: That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I like I think in general I like creating worlds. I want you to feel like um, from the beginning of the piece, you've entered a very sort of specific type of place yeah. and where like you'll hopefully you'll know where you are. But, um, you know, and then it's sort of like, well, how do we operate in this environment? Mm-hmm. And we'll explore that. Yeah.
0: Do you with this piece, do you see anything specific when you listen to it?
1: No. um, Yeah, I don't. I mean, I might have associations or things like yeah. that, but I don't really visualize much about it. I think I get really, um, I think the sort of any kind of sensation that I have that goes with the music is more just like uh, I get excited about certain kinds of moments, yeah. feeling powerful. So if um, so, like, things like the the bass drum with the flute was just such a special thing that when it happens, mm-hmm. every time I listen to it, I'm like, yay. <laughs> um, so, like, so there are things like that, but I don't, I'm not, like, imagining a time lapse. I will say that when I was working on it, when I was sketching it, um, and, the, and I was struggling with duration, I would sometimes watch time lapse videos mm-hmm. um, and sort of think about how it was how it was going with that in mind. So it's not, so in a way there was that during the process, but I can't say that um, I was thinking about that. Like when I heard the first performance or anything like that, I think it would be cool to link it up at some point to some kind of time-lapse art video. um, But I haven't yet gotten around Mm -hmm. to figuring out how to make that happen. So,
0: yeah, Um, it just, I I mean, completely apart from the fact that this is based on a like, visual art technique i did think that the music somehow was very well it was very visual for me um Mm -hmm. i mean maybe that's just me projecting onto the piece but
1: no that's fine i mean like i was uh, in in many ways that was sort of um that was behind a lot of the original thinking of it Mm -hmm. and that was the process of it so i shouldn't say that it's not i just don't it's just not how i I guess it's just not how I think about it now that right. it's been created. Uh-huh. So it's kind of a weird, different thing where that definitely went into the creation of it, but um,
0: now it's, it's it's completely it's separated. Yeah, from it for you. Yeah. yeah, I love I love the ending. By the way, I love oh, I you. love an <laughs> ending that makes no bones about it being the ending. You know, right? Yeah. Like there's there's no like slow fade or 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 you know disappearance or anything. It's like nope, we're done.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And there's no better way to do that than with some flute overtones. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so I mentioned this in your bio, but tell me about the NASA-related uh, project for this piece.
1: Sure. Yeah. It was it was kind of a um, uh, a cool thing and different thing for me. Um, but I have a really good friend of mine from college who's a geologist, and she and her husband both work at NASA. And her husband mm-hmm. Joe um, had been doing some uh, research out in Greenland and had discovered a crater that was buried beneath the ice and knew that he was going to be preparing a video that was going to be reaching a lot of sort of mainstream audiences. So that they needed um, to be explaining the science in a very sort of matter of fact way. And then also having some um, artistic qualities to it, like some background music and things that would make it sort of interesting and accessible. Um, And Typically, when they do that, they use stock music. but right, um, yeah. yeah. and but Joe, uh, he had heard some of my music before and thought that it might work well as background music for some of these films, and so he asked me if I would be willing to put, throw something together. And it was a short deadline, so I didn't want to write a completely new piece. I wanted to find something that I could do fairly quickly, but that would be new and, and different. And I thought immediately about time-lapse variations because... So much of what I had thought about it during the process was, um, sort you know the time lapse films, and in a way, like what better thing to do than have some science films (laughs) (laughs) support this? Um, So I originally uh, just actually spliced together different sections of it and submitted that as a draft to their production team, and the producer got in touch with me and and said, you know, this is this is. nice he was being very kind he was like but it's um you know it's a little bit too uh I forget the word he said I think he said dramatic they were looking for things okay. that were not as dramatic and that had sort of a neutral science tone and um <laughs> so whatever that is yeah it was just very hard I mean because music when you think about it with film it's very manipulative like it can yeah. I mean it can do a lot to the image so I totally understood where he was coming from but it it did set up this sort of problem of thinking about, well, where where is the neutral music and time-lapse variations? And so I ended up going to the places that were really still. So um, a lot of the ending, some of the middle sections where you have had all these sort of big climactic moments and then you have a pause. And I just collected those bits and then went through and just basically just treated it as an electronic piece and went through and sort of looped some of them, um, transpose some of them, stretch them, reverse them, that kind of thing, and created, um, what I think ended up being a pretty neutral background to go with this as they're discovering, um, you know, the science behind this, the stuff out in Greenland. So
0: that's really interesting that you kind of can like go back to a piece and in a way kind of create a sibling, piece out of out of its material so that that's that's just a really interesting process so will we be hearing the symphony number one recording of this
1: yes yeah absolutely Um, and
0: and where can people find that
1: um it's on spotify so if you search on spotify for time-lapse variations i'm pretty sure it's the only thing that comes up and it's um the symphony number one album that includes it
0: Um, also can you is there some place where we could see that film from NASA? Is that like on YouTube? Or, yeah, or?
1: that's actually on my website. So oh, it's on your website. Yeah, okay.
0: awesome. Let's listen to it now. This is time lapse variations, uh, performed by Symphony Number no. One with Jordan Randall Smith conducting. Uh, so we come, we've come to the last question, the one that I ask all the composers and artists that uh, are on the podcast. How did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life?
1: Sure. So um, I've always been involved in music. I took piano lessons starting around six. I was in choirs, um, and uh, even as you know, as I was learning how to play piano, I was also just sort of. L- creating my own pieces, um, creating my own little songs and things like that. And I didn't really consider composition, but, um, it was clear to my piano teachers that, that, you know, this was something that was preoccupying a big part of my practicing time. Um, (laughs) so in high school, I actually sort of shifted more in that direction. I luckily had a piano teacher who was really, she was really excited about composition and theory, and she had me doing a lot with both of them. And she knew I, I was not um, a happy performer. I would do it because I felt like it was important to learn the music and to learn the technique. But I just don't like being on stage. And I have terrible performance anxiety. So she ended up having me uh, focus my junior and senior year just on actually sight reading a lot and learning a mm-hmm. lot of rep. Um, and then she had me do things like ana- analyze um, Voile by WC and... Um, various pieces by Ravel and things like that. So it was a nice opportunity to sort of realize that um, even if you're not a performance personality, there are other ways to, to keep doing this thing that you love. And I really, I've always yeah. loved music. I just find it really, um, yeah, there's, there's nothing else I get that excited about. Mm-hmm. So um, in college, I ended up, um, I wasn't quite ready to commit to a conservatory. And I went to a liberal arts college, Carleton College in Minnesota, And the composer on faculty there, Philip Rhodes, uh, was a really interesting combination of somebody who loved Stravinsky, was interested in modernism, but also was from Appalachia. And so he had a lot of sort of folk music going on in his music, combining with these modernist structures in a way that I found really interesting and appealing. So I think some of the stuff that we talked about in the very beginning of the interview about you know, atonality and tonality sort of okay. coexisting. I think a lot of that probably came from him, too, or at least was reinforced by him. Um, and uh, anyway, I got, I ended up going to Brevard as a summer program my junior year, and I was just hooked. So I uh, went to, do my master's at Cincinnati uh, College Conservatory of Music, took a couple of years off to make sure I was ready for the doctorate, and then went to Peabody, and it's just been that way ever since <laughs> ever, ever since. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, before we go, can you tell people where they can find, uh, more of your music or connect with you online?
1: Sure. So my website is net, and, um, I have a lot of music just even on the, the first page of that, but there's also a link to a SoundCloud, So you can get some slightly different recordings on both. Um, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter, both under Dre Burnett, and I'm happy to connect with people there.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.